This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, July 29th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, vaccines save lives. Society Turn Development moves to next phase of planning. AHA moves into new home and a mountain weather forecast. Vaccines save lives. It may seem obvious, but as COVID cases increase across the country and county, San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin thinks it's worth noting. Staying home when you're sick makes a huge difference. And if you're not going to stay home for whatever reason, please wear a mask if you're feeling sick. That's Franklin speaking on Codo on Thursday. San Miguel County has seen an uptick in cases, with 12 residents testing positive for COVID last week. Five of those cases were breakthroughs, meaning the individual was fully vaccinated when they tested positive. All were symptomatic, and one is currently in the hospital. While Franklin says the number of breakthrough cases is higher than they've seen in recent months, she notes it's a snapshot of a week in time and should be taken with a grain of salt. In reality, Franklin says the vaccine is doing exactly what it set out to do. And that's to prevent severe outcomes, hospitalizations, and deaths. We've seen that 97% of um, those currently hospitalized due to COVID-related health issues are the unvaccinated. With that said, as people resist getting vaccinated, Franklin notes the virus will mutate. That is expected and normal. So um, the key and the safest way out of this is to have as many people vaccinated um, because that will stop this virus from spreading, stop it from potentially mutating and potentially being something that doesn't work as well with the vaccine. With the rise of the Delta variant, which is more contagious, and increased cases nationally, This week, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention issued new guidance recommending everyone, regardless of vaccine status, to wear a mask while in indoor public spaces. The reason for that is to add layers of protection, right? It's harm reduction. So how can we do small things to um, increase our odds of good outcomes if somebody's sick around us? Despite the recommendation, Franklin says public health does not currently plan on reinstating a mask mandate for the county. She notes when public health orders were implemented last year, they had less information about the virus and wanted to prevent hospitals from being overwhelmed. At this point, there is that level of individual responsibility, too, um, where we can educate and inform on best practices. But we're able to manage the current contact tracing load as well as the hospitalizations in our county um, even as um, the strain increases. So we're we're watching um, and paying attention, um, but trying to take measured approaches. San Miguel County Public Health will continue conducting bi-weekly vaccine clinics, with the next one on August 6th from 2 to 3 p.m. on the second floor of the Miramonte building on Main Street. Vaccines are also available at the Telluride Regional Medical Center and the Incompagre Medical Center. The Society Turn development has cleared its first major planning hurdle. On Wednesday, the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners approved the sketch plan for the development. The big thing about sketch plan is um, the purpose is to ensure that the uses are appropriate, the general concept is appropriate. 
you know, preliminaries where we really get down to the fine details and look what's going into the development agreement. That's Kay Simonson, planning director for San Miguel County, speaking before the BOCC. Those fine details of the preliminary plan are the next step. The conversation this week was a continuation from a more extensive discussion last week, where representatives from the developers provided a full explanation and presentation on the project. The development under consideration is owned by Genesee Properties. The nearly 20-acre lot sits just west of the Society Turn Roundabout on the south side of Highway 145. The sketch plan proposes a mix of open space, land dedicated to an expansion of the wastewater treatment plant, a new medical center, and land for commercial development, part of which includes a hotel with up to 125 rooms. The development also proposes a number of affordable housing units. Prior to the last week's hearing, the uh, p- potential to add the voluntary fourth floor for employee housing what had been removed, And the concerns there were mass and scale, traffic impacts, and water and sewer availability. The fourth floor would be in addition to a number of employee units already planned for the development. Now, Simonson says, the developers have proposed adding the fourth floor back in. And I think it's a good idea as well to put it back in for planning areas two and five. These are the planning areas that are south of the new road B, so they're outside of the highway corridors um, and uh, can perhaps uh, uh, handle a little extra height there. Simonson says the additional fourth floor on several buildings would add somewhere between 10 and 20 more housing units. While the region clearly needs more affordable housing, a major selling point for many when it comes to the development is space for a new medical center. The Telluride Regional Medical Center plans to build a new facility as a critical access hospital. But San Miguel County Commissioner Hillary Cooper has concerns about the balance between the new medical center and the need for affordable housing. What I'm trying to wrap my head around is how much is that public benefit that you're offering, uh, mainly the, the hospital district, going to add an additional burden onto the community. We all recognize that it provides an essential service, but it also uh, creates the need for um, additional mitigation on behalf of the entire community, mainly in um, affordable housing. Tom Kennedy, attorney working with Genesee on the development, says you can't have one without the other. If we keep growing, where the heck are they going to go to get their health care services? It's overcrowded. You can't take care of the people that we have now. So if we keep growing our employee housing and we don't have a place to take care of them in the hospital, we're not looking at it the right way. Prior to the meeting last week, over 100 residents shared public comment in person and in writing. The majority were in favor of the development, showing strong support for the med center. Those in opposition were primarily residents living in the area. They share concerns about traffic, light pollution, and disruption to the view corridor. At Wednesday's meeting, however, public comment was brief, and on the whole, in opposition. Pam Lifton-Zolene says she's in support of the new med center. That being said... Um, I believe that uh, the community is about to enter into a really bad bargain because however much we need the clinic, I think that the developer is demanding far too much for us to get that benefit. I think that the development is too large. I think that the mix is wrong. 
I don't think we need another hotel. I think that, you know, all we're going to do is generate way more people and way more need for services when we can't house the people that we already have. The Board of County Commissioners unanimously approved the Society Turn Development Sketch Plan. The next step is the preliminary plan. That will first go to the San Miguel County Planning Commission before making its way back up to the BOCC. Developers say they are planning to get the preliminary plan application in by fall. The AHA School for the Arts is moving home. After 30 years of AHA in the community, this building is purpose-built for the people who will be creating and making art here, which is really beautiful. That's Martin Wallison, the executive director of the AHA. The School for the Arts moved into its new space in the Silverjack building across from BIT on Thursday. But on Tuesday, it was still hustle and bustle with final construction. You walk into the new AHA, and the scale is impressive. It almost boggles the mind how the local institution managed in the small depot for so many years. You're immediately greeted by big windows, a miniature stage, and a grand staircase. It's our hope that not only is this a place that has amazing classes and all kinds of art forms, but that people feel like it's a community center where they're welcome to come in anytime. And so you see there's lots of light and transparency in our um, foyer, in our lobby. We also have these uh, bleacher seating so people can hang out and socialize while they're coming in here, getting ready for classes or between classes. From the lobby, you head to the possibilities room, a long room lined with windows created specifically for kids. This is where a possibility starts, here on the ground floor. <laughs> and the beautiful thing is when people are walking along the street, they're going to see art being made. So art's not behind a wall, it's very visible, it'll just add a lot of vibrancy and dynamism to this, this part of the art district because of that. The Possibilities Room sits just next to the Daniel Tucker Gallery, named for AHA's founder. It's a little bit smaller than our old gallery, but the nice thing is that it is purpose-built to be an actual art gallery. So we have um, remote controllable lighting, which is phenomenal. It means we'll be able to write, light everything properly. We have this beautiful steel grid up here, which means that we can hang pieces from the ceiling. Chris Kwasniewski, AHA's adult curriculum manager. The gallery is also fitted with big sliding doors, allowing it to open fully into the lobby. Tucked around the corner, Kwasniewski shows off the ceramic studio. We have space for 10 wheels in the main center, which also fold out to being hand-building sections. We have a whole glazing kitchen, which means that people can be working on different elements of their projects at the same time. And then we also have space for um, open studio wheels in the back. So instead of having to wait until classes are done to come and work in open studio, you can work at the same time. The ceramic swing of the building also has a lock-off component, allowing artists to access the studio once the building is closed. Moving upstairs. So we are now on the second floor and we are entering what we are calling the Curiosity Shop. Mm -hmm. And the Curiosity Shop is mm -hmm. our mixed media studio where so many things can happen. This space is made for fabric dyeing, it's made for encaustics, it's made for any kind of collage or mixed media. We have um, an entire soldering station over here for jewelry. The second floor also boasts of a culinary classroom, a painting studio, a smaller room for individual classes. Connecting them all is the library. This is the Michael Rudabori's uh, Memorial Library. Most people listening to Koda will probably remember Michael. He took a tremendous number of AHA classes, and when 
he really found himself at AHA and uh, borrowed more books than any human has ever borrowed at the AHA school. So when we were planning this new space, we thought that this was just the perfect place to name for him. A final staircase or elevator brings you to the third floor, an open space with wood floors extending out to a rooftop patio. The room is called the launch pad. We wanted it to be a relatively clean space where we could teach things like writing classes, dance classes, yoga classes. Perched atop the building, looking out at Ajax, Mollison and Kwasniewski are giddy about the possibility for the new AHA. Mollison says it's a place he hopes people come in, quote, wanting to be transformed and transforming others. I think what I'm most excited about is doing what AHA is best at doing, is welcoming people in to have uh, creative, expressive experiences Mm -hmm. here and for people to find who they are through art and creativity. I hate to say it, I'm excited to start seeing it get messy. (laughs) Messy, it will surely become in the best possible way. The AHA officially moved into its new building this week. The art school plans to begin classes in the space in August. San Miguel County's 116th annual San Miguel Basin Rodeo kicks off Friday with fun for the whole family. There's bareback riding, steer wrestling, um, barrel racing, bull riding, team roping. That's Janet Kask, director of San Miguel County Parks and Open Space. Mustang Maddie will also make an appearance. She um, has Mustangs, um, wild horses. Um, Everybody refers to her as the horse whisperer. But um, she's incredible and amazing to see. You know, she walks around the arena with these wild horses and they literally just listen to her. I mean, they uh, just follow her around like dogs. As Cask notes, the rodeo is two days of fun for everyone. But as much as the rodeo is a community event, a state of mind, you may say, it also exists in a place. And kicking off the weekend this year will be a ribbon-cutting ceremony for the newly renovated outdoor arena. It goes back at least 50 years um, without any really major work being done on it. And, um, you know, it's actively used by the Norwood Roping Club and during the rodeo and just local community groups. And, um, you know, and it services the residents of you know, the west end of uh, Montrose County and obviously San Miguel County. In 2019, San Miguel County received a Great Outdoors Colorado, or GOCO, grant of over $150,000 to renovate the space. The project itself included um, renovation of the arena as far as um, replacing the footing, um, upgrading the drainage, and uh, also replacing the exterior fencing. While a construction project of an outdoor arena may not seem as exciting as the fanfare around the rodeo itself, Cask notes the importance can't be understated. It was a community affair to get the grant, upgrade the arena, and continue the West End legacy. Just builds upon the generations. I mean, when you look at the fair with the 4-H program, and particularly now the rodeo, um, you know, it's just it's uh it's all part of the culture and it just uh you know carries through from generation to generation the san miguel basin rodeo will take place friday july 30th and saturday july 31st at the san miguel county fairgrounds in norwood telluride express will provide shuttles from the east end to norwood buses will leave at 5 p.m from the courthouse police are tasked with protecting and serving the community 
that mission is not always a reality. But the Mountain Village Police Department is aiming to build trust and partnership with the residents they serve as part of National Night Out. National Night Out is an annual event that takes place across the U.S. aimed at promoting police community partnerships and neighborhood community. Mountain Village notes the entire community is welcome to join the event with a free barbecue, ice cream social, cornhole, dunk tank, bouncy castle, and tours of police cars, fire trucks, and an ambulance. Mountain Village's National Night Out will take place Tuesday, August 3rd from 5 to 8 p.m. at Village Court Apartments. San Miguel County is the third most generous county in all of Colorado. That's according to a study by Smart Asset, a financial technology company based in New York. Smart Asset created a, quote, most generous places index by looking at charitable contributions as a percentage of net income and the percentage of taxpayers that make charitable contributions in the county. San Miguel came in third with a score of 58.98 on the most generous places index. It lost out to Douglas County coming in at number two. Pitkin County took the top spot. Starting in the late 1950s, nearly everything but the kitchen sink was put in the ocean off the Southern California coast to promote sport fishing and recreational diving. It may sound like dumping, but initially there was serious science behind it. H2O's Franny Halprin has more. It's a calm afternoon off the coast of Southern California on a stretch of ocean midway between Los Angeles and San Diego. I'm with my brother Rod on his sport fishing boat, and we've just left the harbor for a short tour. As we travel south about a half mile offshore, sonar on board is telling us what we're missing underwater. The display was quiet when we first left and traveled over sandy seafloor, but now we're starting to see multicolored spikes along the bottom of the screen. So that's what the kelp looks like. So when, when we're fishing, we look for that. That's because fish and invertebrates gravitate to rocky areas, especially ones with kelp, to find food and shelter. And right on cue, images indicating fish pop up on the screen as the amount of kelp grows. Like that, that could be a thresher shark or uh, there's, there's another one and pretty good size. That's a school of little fish. These are individual fish. The bounty of sea life is good news for our destination, the Wheeler North Reef, a recently completed artificial reef off San Clemente. So it's huge. It's the biggest artificial reef in the country. That's Steve Schroeder. He's a marine researcher at UC Santa Barbara who's joined us on board today. He's been a part of constructing this reef since 1998 after heated water discharged from the San Onofre nuclear generating station decimated a nearby kelp forest. Schroeder says the nuclear plant, which was decommissioned in 2013, caused a reduction of 28 tons of fish per year. Its owner, Southern California Edison, was ordered to mitigate the damage by constructing a new kelp reef from scratch. Pretty much since the reef went in, it has behaved like the natural reef. And actually the kelp on the 
artificial reef did a lot better than the kelp on the natural reef. Wheeler North, which was built using native quarry rock, is one of 32 artificial reefs in California that have a long history going back to the 1950s. Back then, everything from streetcars to toilets to light poles and concrete rubble were put offshore to promote sport fishing and scuba diving. The opinion at the time was that sandy-bottomed areas of the ocean were like deserts, and installing material, any material for kelp to grow on, was good for recreation. You know, when you look back at them now, how was that ever allowed? Kate Hucklebridge is with the California Coastal Commission. Many of the early reefs were built before the agency was established in the 1970s. There is a famous case that we were involved in by the Marine Forest Society. It was a structure made up of tires and PVC pipe and rope. Helco Bridge says that reef, built illegally in the 1980s, was a turning point for the agency. To this day, they are still cleaning up its thousands of plastic milk jugs and tires, which release toxins as they break down. Our view more recently with artificial reefs has shifted and that generally we're looking at you know, like the Wheeler North Reef being the best example. But Dave Whitting, a researcher with NOAA, says instead of adding reef to sandy areas where they never were in the first place, existing reefs should be restored to save these vital ecosystems. And he points to one he and his team just completed near Los Angeles. We're actually seeing more life and more diversity on the reef now than we, we expected after only you know, half a year. Of. The original reef had been buried by landslides from eroding bluffs, something that's happening more and more with extreme storms and rising sea levels brought on by climate change. Warming oceans are also contributing to a massive loss of kelp forest up and down the California coast. These really critical habitats could just slip away and, and they're all underwater, so you don't necessarily see them every day. The state gets numerous requests from groups and even cities wanting to build artificial reefs, but has no plans to authorize any until a management plan can be developed. The problem is that we saw some very bad things that, you know, historically when it was a little more free and easy to, to make a reef. You know, things that are really just a tiny jump above ocean dumping. If any reefs do get built, they might want to call them something other than artificial because the days of street poles and toilet bowls are long gone. For H2O Radio, I'm Franny Halprin. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for showers and thunderstorms tonight with a low around 50 degrees. Friday, expect showers and thunderstorms with a high near 70 during the day and a low around 50 degrees at night. There is a flash flood watch in effect through Friday. Saturday should see showers and thunderstorms with a high near 70 degrees. Saturday night calls for showers and thunderstorms with a low around 50. This has been the news for Thursday, July 29th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206.